Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the legal podcast that provides easy-to-understand information about estate and business planning to help you, your family, and your business. And now, the jovial gents of jurisprudence, Mike Betts and Spencer Chaffin. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the greatest podcast that there has ever been. My name is Mike Betts. I'm with the prestigious law firm BC Counselors at Law. My partner, Spencer Chafin, is sitting across from me. What's up? Spencer, it's good to are have we, you here. Are we prestigious anymore? Yeah, we are. <laughs> okay. But we're here to actually talk about a very important subject. That important subject is... Uh, intellectual property rights, in particular, the work for hire, I'll say, doctrine, if you want to call it that. And so in our last podcast, we talked about uh, an American icon, Spencer, our painter, our happy painter, never seeing any, any downside, always just seeing the unexpected as being happy little accidents, uh, person I grew up watching, Spencer, you grew up watching. Yep. I'm still delaying because I can't think of his name. <laughs> Bob Ross. Thank you, Bob Ross. Bob the, Ross, the, the everyone. Man with, the man with two first names. Bob Ross. Um, uh, update, breaking news. This site can't be reached. So I can't. I've got the answer for you. Oh, tell me, what uh, is it? So technically, Australia got its date of dominion status on January 1st, 1901. However, the date of final relinquishment of British powers, March 3rd, 1986. Damn it. Homegirl was... I win. You did. I win. I can't believe Australia was under the control of Britain that long. Hey, if you would would watch The Crown, it would have made sense because... uh, uh, what's her face? Princess Diana and her husband, Charles. Was it Charles? Charles. At the time, they went to Australia as part of the Commonwealth. Do me a favor. Look up New Zealand. I want to see where our Kiwis, uh, when they broke free. I guarantee you, they broke free before the Australians When did New Zealand do it? Full independence was granted in 1931 and ratified by New Zealand in 1947. Oh, my goodness. New Zealand. Props to New Zealand. Australia. Come on. Come on. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. As far as I'm concerned. Ridiculous. Still, 1776. Yeah. No, we're the, we're the OGs, man. <laughs> So, okay, so um, hold on, I, I, I digress. So, okay, so, so Bob, Bob Ross. Ross. Bob Ross, uh, we talked about Bob Ross, and uh, for those of you that missed that podcast. Go for, back and listen to it. Yeah, you don't, you're not excused. Go watch it, listen to it, listen to it. Watch it on your screen of your device, but it's not going to show you anything. No. But watch and listen. Anyway, Bob Ross, he he had a business, started a business with other partners. They had a buy-sell agreement. The buy-sell agreement maybe wasn't what he had intended. 
basically when somebody died, their shares went proportionally to the other people. And Bob Ross, because he and his wife died first, they effectively lost the business. That's very simplified, and I'm sure there's nuance in the actual lawsuit, but at least legally I can understand how we got to the point under those facts. And then the other interesting thing is this business had been developing a lot of intellectual property and Bob Ross Inc., Bob Ross as as a name, it's 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 character, it's mascot. Uh, uh, not yeah. to not to diminish well, what he is he or who is, he is, but yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. Um, it uh, contended that actually all of his likeness, like Bob Ross, what it is, his name, putting his name on things, yeah. and that recognition actually belonged to the company and not to him. And a court, as I understand it, agreed. Correct. And so his attempt to to uh, aside get, from other other uh, agreements yeah. or whatever, but his 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 attempt to give it to his son and his half brother was thwarted because you can't give when you pass away things that you never you never owned. Right. And so, the idea is work product doctrine. And one thing that he needed to do was understand the buy sell. He already did the estate plan, and we get, we commended Bob Ross for doing at least that much. The second peg in the trifecta or the tripod of of estate and business planning for the small business owner is going to be the buy-sell agreement. They probably didn't think about that well enough. And then this third peg in it is how do you protect your intellectual property rights? Because really, that's the big value in businesses. When we talk about goodwill, what is goodwill? That's intellectual property. It's what people how they view and perceive your business. And so we need to protect goodwill. And so what we wanted to talk about was this this work, uh, sorry, this work for hire uh, uh, concept that we, especially in today's world, encounter it all the time. But I, I would say I would say 90% of owners, small business owners, have no idea. So Spencer, I'm going to ask you a question. You want to do or have a, a website. You want to create a website, yeah. right? Or, or a logo even for your company. Uh, you go hire somebody to create that logo or that website for you. Independent contractor, yep. it's just the business. Just that's go out, hire out someone, hey, create yep. this for yep. me because I'm not, I'm not creative, yep. which I'm not. Yep. Um, do you, and, and you don't do any agreements, you just... You just uh, say, hey, go do this. You pay them, and and then then they give you the website. Do you own that website? I should. It's mine. I had them build it. I paid them. It's my company. Yeah, you don't. But I don't. So here's an interesting concept in the law. So we know what intellectual property is just generically. But I'm going to try to make it a little bit more concrete. Intellectual property is anything effectively that you see or you read, that you even write. We talk about copyrights. Copyrights is a species of of intellectual property. If you go and create a website, that is your intellectual property. It's yours. If you go and, and, and write a letter to somebody... That theoretically is your intellectual property. 
You come up with what I call any sort of marks, like a logo idea. That's your intellectual property, right? Like that, that stuff that we see every day, intellectual property. We're going to call them marks in this particular case. So I come up with some sort of a mark or a work. I come up with some sort of a work. So we think of like movies. Yeah, that's that's copyrighted. A song. That's something. We think of songs. We think of paintings oh, in the you case beat me of Bob. To it. I was yeah. gonna say painting. You got it. But it's even very boring things like websites. Even more boring is software. All of that code that you have. The gibberish that no one knows anything about except for the coders. Those are works. Uh-huh. And that means they are intellectual property. That's why people control and protect their source code to the to the end. If you paid somebody to go do an app, so everybody wants an app. Spencer, you hire an outside company to go build an app for our law firm. Let's say let's say we want to we want to uh, create an app to make it easier for people to actually do some damn planning. Let's plan for yeah. once, right? And we have an app that that will help people do that. You hire a firm out of out of India or or a firm out of China East, or East, whatever Eastern yeah. Europe. There's a yeah. lot of companies. Or let's say somebody here in the United States. Doesn't matter yeah. where you go. Do you own that app? The answer will be no. Unless. Less. You follow our guidelines yeah. here. So uh, the work for hire, here's the general idea. Anything that, and, and remember, we have a business that's an LLC, let's say, because that's our preferred yeah. entity, right? So an LLC is a, separate in, is a separate entity. But it, like, as far as I know, LLCs can't, like, talk or do work or anything like that. They only do things through the people, people working yeah. working with them. And the LLC can work with people in a couple different ways. They can be independent contractors or they can be employees. You always fit into one of those two yep. boxes. An employee is, we all know what that is. You're on payroll. You're told what to do, when to do how it, to do how it. To... You're given the supplies to do it oftentimes. But the control, you are reporting to an employer. That makes you an employee. The other alternative would be like an attorney. I can work with you. I might even be your agent, meaning I can do things on your behalf, yep. right? Not all independent contractors are your agent, but even agents don't have to be your employee, but I'm an independent contractor. I do the work. You're only interested in the results of the work, right? The performance. So I'm expected to do a good job and get the job done, but I get to control the way I do it. I do it when I can get to it. I do it how I think is the right way to do it. Again, you're lacking that control aspect. And by the way, there's like a bunch of factors and a whole litany of factors, but control is really, in my view, the most important concept. That's what distinguishes employees from independent contractors. So that is an important concept because if you are an LLC, and you develop things through your employees. So let's go to Bob Ross, right? Through its employees, and Bob Ross being an employee, and or even possibly an independent contract. But let's assume for the sake of argument, he's, he's like us in BC yeah. Counselors. You're an employee of BC Counselors, I'm an employee yep. of BC Counselors, as well as being the owners. Correct. But in a in a LLC, 
that's taxed as an S-corp or a corporation, you can also be an employee, right? And most small businesses are S-corps. More likely than not, right? That's what you've been told by your by your CPA uh, your brilliant CPAs, yeah. like, and that's that's the reality. So so even owners can wear multiple hats. Let's assume Bob Ross was an employee. Anything that he developed, any of the stuff that was done for the company in connection with the people working for the company, that property all belonged to the company. It is the work for hire doctrine. So if an employee make something for you, a logo, they code for you, they do any of that stuff, it becomes your property. The company's property. The company's property. I'm sorry, the company's property. So Spencer and I have an amazing uh, 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 logo, let's say. And which and, is and, pretty good. And, and let's say we we drafted it up. Spencer put it together. It was his idea, and we're using it. Spencer doesn't own it. The company owns it. Now, Spencer and I are owners of the company, and so indirectly own it. But Bob Ross, for example, had what he thought were certain, like a certain brand that was inextricably tied to him. But he thought he could he could leverage that. No, the things he thought he had. Certainly, his name is his name. Right. But Bob Ross Inc., the Bob Ross, like, 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 hair, all of that <laughs> the features, stuff, the features, yeah. all of that stuff theoretically belonged with the company. And they fought about it and they fought over it. And the company proved that he was just an owner, yep. but everything we built was within the company. And so it's the company's property. Now, that's easy for us to understand. So big tech companies, people will use employees uh, or independent contractors, but big tech companies, they like to employ in-house coders because that ensures that they own all the code. Right. As an example. So they don't have an issue. But that's not like most of us small business owners. We can't have in-house graphic designers. We can't have in-house uh, um, coders. We can't have in-house everything that we need in-house. We have to go outside to work with people. So those people that we work with outside, they're independent contractors. Spencer, I want to have you do a logo for me. What should the small business owner do? Because if we don't have a contract, you told me, uh, you and I, you told me, I might not own the the the, uh, the product, the product the work, itself, yeah. the work. And so I could pay, and then I might get an email later, and this actually happens, guys, that says, you don't actually own that mark. In fact, they might give you a very limited a right to use it, but you can't use it in a bunch of different ways caution when you're looking at these websites. But the idea is, I don't have anything. You're the person that created it. You owned it. What can we do? So a couple things. One, you should have an agreement. And in that agreement, see what it says on who owns the work uh, when it's all said and done. Um, As the business owner, you should always look for that. The other uh, option would be to assign uh, there could be an assignment of the interest, the ownership in that that work, um, and that's and kind of you know. Let me know your thoughts on this, but 
Either way, whether you have that agreement or not, it's probably safe to always have an assignment at the end anyways. We're going to take a short break, but we'll return with more legal info to help you, your family, and your business right here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. This episode of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief is brought to you by Alfredo Robledo Certified Public Accountant, PC. Alfredo has been licensed as a Certified Public Accountant since 1984 and is located in Grapevine, Texas. Alfredo can help with many different tax matters ranging from filing individual and business tax returns, trust and estate filings, as well as bookkeeping services for your business. You can contact Alfredo at 817-421-0720 or find him at grapevinecpa.com. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas public art program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, public art program manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. And we're back, and you're listening to the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the podcast providing legal info to help you, your family, and your business. I, I, think, I think the moral of the story is always have a written agreement. Yeah. Like, you need an independent contractor agreement. And it doesn't matter what you do with a contractor. Just assume they're going to create something, some sort of an invention, yeah. a patent, a work, something that's intellectual property. Let's just assume, because if somebody's doing work for you, they're going to create something possibly of value that's intangible. Why not have an agreement that specifically states what it is? And so here are the rules for works for hire with independent contractors. So it's automatic if it's an employee. A work for hire could theoretically apply uh, to an independent contractor, but it's not 100% clear. So it's a best practice to have this sort of language. You say, I have hired you for the purpose of creating a work for me. So basically, you have to show that it was commissioned. You have to have that in writing in the agreement. Like that is a legit element. So if you want work product or uh, sorry, uh, a work for hire with an independent contractor, you have to put it in writing. You have to. And then here's where it gets a little bit weaselly. There's like a list of a number of categories of, of, uh, 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 tangible thing, let's say, or medium. That's that's the tangible is the wrong way because it's all intangible. There there are categories of things that can be a work for hire, and so it's like compilations, uh, uh, recordings, that sort of thing. But interestingly enough, things like code, things like logos. They're not like specifically identified. And when it comes to code, let's say, like your apps out there that everybody's wanting an app, there's not really a very good box for it to fill into. Now, there were courts previously that just said, 
you're kind of out of luck if it doesn't fall within one of these. But there have been some opinions that have come out that basically say, you know what, we're going to call these compilations if they're part of, of one thing. So like websites, people have gotten their websites protected under the work for uh, hire doctrine. The idea is this. Let's have a written contract. Let's let's put in the elements that this is a work for hire just to say that's what we're doing. But to Spencer's point, let's always get a transfer or the right to get a transfer or an assignment for whatever they create. So in other words, your contract could say something like this. Anything that you develop in connection with your engagement belongs to us. It's ours. You're never going to take any action that's inconsistent with that. And in fact, you're going to give us any of the things that we need to reflect that what you create is ours, specifically an assignment. And it's best to say, I hereby assign all of the stuff that, that, uh, that, that, that you have or that, that we create for you. Uh, and, and that's just kind of a kicker to make sure that you've got it. But as I say that, there's an interesting concept that a lot of people don't realize. And Spencer, once you assign a, a let's say, a work to somebody... Because I was an independent contractor. And you've assigned... I've signed it to let's, your let's say, company. Let's, let's say I had you compose something for me. And I hired you to do it as an independent contractor. And you composed it for me. Like, I'm, I can keep that forever. And I don't ever have to worry about uh, uh, losing that right. Because you gave it to me, right? Nay. What are you talking about? I can actually take it back with under certain stipulations. So are you telling me that we have a deal where you essentially sell it to me and you can take it back? Yeah. So it really thwarts the whole no take backs oh, man. argument. I've used that argument my whole life. Yeah, because you had siblings, so did I. No take backs. Yeah, no take backs. Yeah. Oh, and incidentally... Now, we might have to cut this out, but it's an interesting concept. So do you remember the saying, Native American giver? The true saying was Indian giver, yes. That is so bad. I, I, don't, I do not advocate using it. I used to think, though, that it was bad because it somehow was a negative connotation to Native Americans. No, do you know what an Indian giver is? It's a negative connotation based off the government. The white man! Because they would give it and then take it back. Exactly! That's what it was, Pierre. It's horrible. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. the worst thing you, yeah. ever. But, 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 the, but the way that it's phrased, it makes you think negatively towards... Yes, the Native Americans. But actually, it's, but it's not, not derogatory at all. Right. It's about it's about yeah. the government yeah. just taking their lands. Yeah. Like reneging on it. all uh, of their no, stuff. No, we're just kidding. Yeah. We took yeah. it back. Okay, so work for hire. Work for hire. So work for hire, I guess here's, here's... And it's from a legal perspective, it's confusing to me in this sense. Uh, we, we can... We can uh, Okay, so Mike, you're telling me uh, employees that create things for us, it's always ours. That's correct. 
Mike, you're telling me, though, if they create something for me, they can take it back? No. Work for hire is an exception to the rule where you can take things away. So yes. if an employee creates it for you, it's yours yeah. forever. It was never the employee's Now, ever. make sure you have that in the employee agreement just to be clear, right. things of that nature. So don't just – don't do the assumption – Get it in writing. Yeah, yeah. We're telling you what right. the rule is, but, but you put it's it in always the safer. Yeah, to, to always, make it clear, we always include that in our employment agreements. And, and it and it protects you if they go and take that information and use it to with another company. Then it protects you on being able to sue them, prevent them from using it further, things of that nature. That's exactly right. So, so employees, it's pretty easy, and I can tell you, it's a lead pipe cinch. You're good now. Independent contractors, and we know we're small businesses. Well, we told you. It's not always the case that it could be a work for hire. Now, if we make it a work for hire, then it can never be taken away from you because, again, as we said, it never was theirs in the first place. So they had no rights to rescind. Okay. But I'm telling you that there's a lot of commentators that say certain really important types of this intellectual property can't fall within the work for hire doctrine. So some copyrightable stuff that you've got can't be a work for hire. And if it's a copyright, which your website and your uh, uh, technology, that's principally going to be copywritten, uh, pro copyright protections. Well, if, if, if it can't be a work for hire, we told you we'll take an assignment and the assignment should protect you, right? But it doesn't because, as Spencer told you, uh, depending on what it is and how it works, let's say anywhere between 35 and 40 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the times exactly. It's 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 north of 30. I think it's 35 I, years. I though. think it was it was that gap between 35 and 40. Yeah, depending on what it is. Yeah. So 35, 35 uh, years from now, in the earliest case, somebody can send you notices and there's things that they have to do to get rid of it. Um, how do folks deal with that? Well, the easiest thing is make them employees if they're going to do it for you. And if you can't do it as an employee because it just doesn't make any sense, we take an assignment. Perhaps we could build in some language into your agreement that they, they waive those rights under the, under the uh, Copyright Act, uh, that they won't ever pursue those rights. So maybe you could try to do that, but I don't know if that sort of thing would be enforceable because Congress specifically wanted to protect people's ability to do that, and so relinquishing the ability to do that might not be workable. Yeah. Now, also to be clear, that, that 35 to 40-year gap, like that's my understanding is when the the independent contractor can come back and say, I'm taking it back. That's right. It's in that period. Now, what happens if they don't exercise that right within that period? Oh, then it's, then it's, it, th th well, they're, they're, uh, so when they die, their heirs can do it. So, so let's be, let's be clear about that. But if they don't ever do anything about it outside that window, it's like a statute of limitations. Like people know that there's a period of time after so much time, they can't go after you. People understand that in criminal law, and I think they're starting to understand law. that more and more about civil law. 
uh, same concept. So if they don't, you're golden. Like, like there it's, you go. it, it's okay. No. The, the idea, the thinking was... Let's hope they forget. <laughs> well, there's a lot of disparity, and people are uh, typically going to going to use it and benefit from it early on. And we don't want people to just take stuff and sit on it. So we'll give authors time later on down the road to get back their their stuff and try to try to try to use it again. Like those were some of the thinkings uh, behind it. Software really does pose a a conundrum and and uh i've been doing a lot of reading and i just don't see very convincing to me practices but what we're telling you on this is 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 really the the best practices that people will tell you well i was going to uh pull up our independent contractor agreement my computer is going very very slow today but that's really all i have on this no. particular topic spencer do you have any questions concerns uh just, grievances just reiterate the importance of before you do anything know what you're getting into yeah agreed i agree 100 100 so with that spencer that's all folks that's copyright infringement. That's all, people. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys, or uh, you'll hear from us soon. On the next podcast. On the next podcast. And that brings us to the end of another show. For more information on today's topic or previous show topics, please visit our website at www.bccounselorsatlaw.com. While there, feel free to let us know what future show topics you'd like for us to cover. On behalf of Spencer, this is Mike, and we thank you for listening. And remember, it's always our goal to provide easy-to-understand legal info to help you, your family, and your business here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. Thank you.